I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Thank you for joining me tonight as again we attempt to turn this studio into a sanctuary. I always appreciate your prayers, and I try to remember you in mind. Some of you I know, some I don't. If you would like a prayer request, please mail it to me, Howard Brady, at our address, and I'll be glad to pray for you. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I do not want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a moment of prayer? Oh God, your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Thank you for this very sacred opportunity. May I be faithful and may others receive a blessing through this message. In your name, amen. I want to begin tonight by sharing with you four statements which I feel represent the thinking of countless numbers concerning the modern church. The first statement was made by a rather discouraged servant of the church. He said, the modern church is like a referee in an athletic contest who has swallowed his whistle and can neither direct nor stop the game. The second statement was made by a candidate being interviewed for the office of the Episcopacy. This candidate said, in the Methodist Church, we have good theology, good worship, good inclusiveness. But he said, we've lost our passion. We've lost our sense of urgency. The third statement was made by a woman in a local church. She was describing her worship service on Sunday, and she said, I just kept waiting for the casket to come down the aisle. And the fourth statement was made by a Christian friend in a recent conversation. This friend said, how do you think the church will even be around in its present form in the middle of the 21st century? Now all of this, I say all of this, represents the church at the midnight hour, the church in retreat. The question desperately needing to be raised in this hour is when will the retreat stop? And this question was put very well by a concert violinist by the name of Old Bull when he was asked to go to church with a friend. He said, I'll go to church with you on one condition, that you take me to hear someone who will tempt me to the impossible. When will the modern church move out of the midnight hour, stop the retreat, and tempt this world of ours to the impossible? Thank God the dawning seems to have already happened. A few years ago, I was in Varna, Bulgaria with the executive committee of the World Methodist Council. 
The Varley Methodist Church was 150 years old at the time, but it had been closed for the previous 30 years. Under the communist regime, the church had been turned into a mariner's show. The clergy had been taken off and imprisoned. When we were there, the church had just been reopened a year and a half. It was so crowded you couldn't get people into the church. The Sunday school was so large they had to meet outdoors. But this church had plans to build a new church. How very appropriate they were going to build this church in the heart of the city, in the heart of a former communist city at that. One night, the Varna pastor was speaking to the executive committee of the council, and he said, our people are full of enthusiasm. And then he said, our people are full of enthusiasm because God is with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the spirit of Paul in Ephesus. Amidst all the opposition and paganism that he confronted. Remember, this is Ephesus. Secularistic, paganistic, pluralistic. Ephesus with its notorious pagan temple of Diana. Ephesus with its way out thinking. Ephesus with not a church in view. This single Christian was going to challenge Ephesus to become Christian. He was going to challenge it with a Christ-inspired vision. And so again I ask, when will the modern church move out of the midnight hour, stop the retreat, and tempt this world of ours to the impossible? The modern church, singing at midnight, I want to offer these suggestions. First of all, the church singing at midnight will refocus on Jesus Christ as the center of its certainty. Notice Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Whom is the arresting word, not what. He said, I know whom I have believed. Howard Eddington, the former pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Orlando, Florida, said his grandfather was right. He said, things will change or disappear. And he said his grandfather himself had disappeared four years later because he had died of cancer. He said the family that used to be in one place was now scattered to Florida and Texas and North Carolina and New Hampshire. He said even the old home place at 1305 Dauphin was no more. He said his grandfather was right when he said things will change or disappear. But then his grandfather said, but Jesus never will. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you there is something better than a cause. And that is love for and loyalty to a person. Even Jesus Christ our Lord. So why should we in the church always start anew with Jesus? For two reasons. First of all, church renewal and new life were always renewed in the past when the church became sensitive anew to Jesus. Let me give you some examples. In the 13th century, Francis of Assisi courageously withstood the papacy to call the church back to a consideration of the example of Jesus. He tried to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved. Many historians believe it was his life and work that paved the way for the Protestant Reformation. 300 years later, the church came to one of its darkest hours. It was a political hierarchy. It was corrupt, barren, and spiritually empty. A man by the name of Ignatius Loyola turned away from inherited influence and wealth in Spain to call the church back to early New Testament faith. And his movement brought new power to a decadent institution. When we think of Martin Luther, we think of such doctrines as freedom of the Christian person and justification by faith. But how many of us remember that his message and his call was not simply a return to the Bible, it was a return to Jesus. And then there was our own John Wesley, who was confronted by a church that was steeped in ritualism and form. Its cathedrals were impressive, but they were spiritually empty. 
So what did Wesley do? He preached Jesus Christ in Christian discipleship, and you know the result. A nation saved in a Methodist church. And then the second reason for starting with Jesus is changed human lives. We simply cannot get around that. Years ago, I was asked to have the prayer at the kickoff of the polio drive in the state of Georgia. They had me seated up there one of the, next to one of the world's great scientists, Dr. Jacob Brunowski, who was a, salt, a fellow at Salt Institute. What was I going to say to one of the world's great scientists? It took me half the meal to get up the courage to say anything. Finally, I said, Dr. Brunowski, wasn't that marvelous what they did in South Africa, transplanting that heart and all? He looked at me and he said, do you really think so? And I said, yes, sir, don't you? He said, preacher, what the world needs is not a new heart, but a change of heart. A change of heart. How right he was and is. When we are dealing with Saul of Tarsus out on the Damascus Road, we're not dealing in the realm of the speculative. Saul said it was the living Christ who had met him. And the person who seeks to deny this is confronted with a permanent change in Saul's life. A change that was so radical that it produced numerous new churches and some of the finest literature this world has ever known. Eddie Fox, who is the General Secretary of the World Methodist Council, told about a man who was converted in South America. This man was a bandit. He wore six guns, chaps, spurs, a cowboy hat. He was invited to go to church by a farmer. While he was in that church wearing his six guns and his cowboy hat and his chaps and his spurs, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and he was converted. Later on, he said, I don't wear my six guns anymore, but I'm more dangerous than ever. I like that. I don't wear my six guns anymore, but I'm more dangerous than ever. And there was an Estonian superintendent in that meeting, and he said, I was not a hooligan. I was not a bandit, but I was really a troublemaker, but Jesus Christ changed my life. So how did I get on the inside of this story of God's grace? I can only speak for me. I didn't know the meaning of life. I didn't know why I was here. I didn't know what to do with my sins. But then I heard by word and example what Christ was doing for others, and by faith I decided he could do the same thing for me. He has and he is. The church singing at midnight would refocus on Jesus Christ as the center of his certainty. And then secondly, the church singing at midnight will saturate itself in prayer. Will saturate itself in prayer. I like the story of a teenage boy that was riding up the street with his best girl in the car. All of a sudden, he stopped the car, turned to his girl and said, if I had a hundred eyes, they'd all want to behold your beauty. If I had a hundred arms, they'd all want to, want to hold you. If I had a hundred lips, they'd all want to kiss you. The girl looked at him and said, oh, shut up. You ain't using what you got. If we're not saturating ourselves in prayer in the modern church, we're not using what we have. If you read the Acts of the Apostles, it will tell you just before the Holy Spirit came, the disciples were gathered in that upper room in prayer. Prayer was their priority. Too often prayer is our preamble in this world to something else. But for the early Christians, prayer was their something else. Prayer was their priority. I remember a few years ago, I went with a hundred people from the World Methodist Council to Estonia to, to witness the laying of the cornerstone for the new Baltic Seminary there. These people had been under communist domination for 50 years, from 1940 till 1990, and they were going to really celebrate. They were going to have 17 speakers and music and etc. But it was the coldest day of my life. I've never experienced such cold. The wind and the rain blowing in from the Baltic Sea had all of us just shivering. I was so cold I wouldn't even take my hands out of my pocket to put an umbrella over my head. 
Then I saw people from the World Methodist Council start going back, getting in the bus. They were so cold. And to tell you the truth, I thought I'd do the same thing. I thought I would just go back and get on the bus. But just before I did, I whispered to a friend, I am so cold. And he said to me, he said, you know, when they asked these seminarians why they were in the seminary, more than half of them said because of their grandmother's prayer. And then he said, look right there. And he showed me four or five older women, nothing on their heads, just light jackets, standing out there. And he said, you know, those are the grandmothers. And then he whispered, I'm just pleased to be standing among the grandmothers. Well, you couldn't have moved me out of there with a bulldozer then because tears started flowing down my face. I too was just pleased to be standing among the grandmothers. They had saved the church by their prayers. William's home border, he's dead now. He was a pastor of Atlanta Sweet Street Baptist Church. He, used, he liked to pray before his worship services this prayer. Lord, let something happen here today that's not in the bulletin. What if we all prayed that prayer? Lord, help us. Let something happen today that's not listed in the bulletin, not scheduled on the calendar. Let something miraculous happen. Somebody said, if you rely on strategy, you get what strategy can do. If you rely on organization, you get what organization can do. If you rely on preaching, you get what preaching can do. If you rely on music, you get what music can do. But if you rely on prayer, you get what God can do. And that is so true. Years ago, I had the opportunity of going to pastor school, and I heard a preacher by the name of Dr. Hoover Rupert. He described an experience. He said, you know, he had... When he went to Copenhagen, he wanted to see that great church that housed that statue of Christ. He said he had a little time one day. He asked a policeman where the church was. The policeman said it's on the next corner. He said he ran up to it and he saw the church. It was so pretty. And when he opened the doors, he could see the statue of Jesus, but he couldn't see his face. There were people milling around in there. And he said he saw what the sculptors had done with the disciples. So he started running his hands around the disciples' feet, trying to figure out what they were like. All the time watching the statue, he could see the statue, but he couldn't see his face. And all the time, people were milling around in the church. Finally, when he got right up under that statue and the statue's shadow was over him, suddenly he realized there was nobody in the church but him. He dropped to his knees, and when he looked up, he said he was looking into the eyes of the master. And then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, you know, we must kneel at his feet before we can look into the master's face. How true that is. The church singing at midnight will saturate itself in prayer. And then thirdly, the church singing at midnight will march under the banner of the kingdom of God. Christ is the answer for our personal needs. But the kingdom of God is the blueprint for what the church should do and be in our society. After we have preached Jesus Christ, and after we have taught Jesus Christ, then we must communicate the adventure of the kingdom of God. And that means the reign of God. That means more than simply our relationship with God. It means our relationship with this world, with every aspect of this planet's life. That's what it means. You know, it is said that the early church lived by the majesty of its beliefs. I like that. That church never lost sight of the infinite worth of the human soul and the imperishable value of human life. That church looked out over society with the eyes of Jesus. And that's the reason it never flew a national or a racial flag. Oh, I like that, living by the majesty of our beliefs. That's the kingdom of God. You know, our beliefs, listen to them, that God is the God of all humankind and the omnipotent ruler of this universe, that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God and the Savior of all humankind and races, that the kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace 
is to be built here in the world, that the Christian church is the clearest continuing evidence of Christian faith across the centuries, and that the church is called to be a sign of the kingdom's presence. There was a lady called Gert Bahanna, whose book, The Late Liz, was made into a movie. Gert Bahanna was one of the most remarkable servants that ever lived. She divorced three times. She tried to commit suicide. She was an alcoholic. But at the age of 50, she gave her life to Christ. And after that, she went all around the world telling people about Jesus. And literally thousands of people were won to Christ because of Gert Bahanna. Not long before she died, somebody asked her, said, Hey, Gert, what you been doing lately? She said, Well, I travel around a lot and used to get so disgusted about those restrooms in the dirty gas stations. She said, You had to wear a pair of galoshes to get into most of them. And she said, One day I complained to the Lord about how this servant of his was being treated. And he said to me, Hey, Gert, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And she said, I said, Lord, you mean you use these restrooms too? And she said, I suddenly realized the next person coming to that restroom was going to be Jesus Christ himself. And she said, you better believe it made a difference in what I did. I picked up all those dirty towels on the floor and put them in the wastebasket. I pulled out a clean towel and wiped off the mirror, wiped off the sink, and yeah, the toilet seat. I left the place looking as clean as possible, and I said, well, Lord, that is. I hope you enjoy it. That's what our Lord's kind of positive doing is all about. No trumpets, no publicity, just doing the thing that makes life better for the folks coming behind us. Someone said there are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. The church singing at midnight will march under the banner of the kingdom of God. And then finally, the church singing at midnight will redevelop an aggressive attitude. A doctor had a very authoritative secretary a man went to see the doctor. He said, ma'am, I've got a headache and I'd like to see the doctor. She said, get in that room, close the door, get on the table and pull the sheet up. But ma'am, I've just got a headache. Get in that room, close the door, get on the table and pull the sheet up. But ma'am, get in that room, close the door, get on the table and pull the sheet up. Well, what do you do? He said he started down there. He went into the room, closed the door, got up on the table, was leaning back. When he was pulling the sheet up, he noticed another fellow lying beside him. He said, all this, and I just got a headache. The other fellow said, headache, nothing. I just came in here to read the meter. I think you would have to say that that secretary had an aggressive attitude. What is an aggressive attitude? An aggressive attitude is an attitude alert to opportunity. What was Paul said? He said, here in Ephesus, a wide door for effective work is open to me. And sort of a secondary thing, he said, there are many adversaries. Do You know, we can learn not only from Paul, but from the man of La Mancha. You remember Don Quixote? He had a touch of madness. He was haunted by what could be. He ran into Aldonza, this part-time prostitute, part-time maid in the hotel. And so he saw the possibility. He changed her name to Dulcinea. Dulcinea. People criticized him, but he kept on going. And this is what he said. And the world will be better for this, that one man scorned and covered with stars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable stars. Pagan Ephesus. Ephesus with the hotbed of pagan worship there with the Temple of Diana. Not a single Christian there. An open door and a great opportunity. Now, the 20th century world of ours, with all of its poverty and homelessness and warlike things going on in the world, church decline, spirituality run amok, social media, 
all these things going on in our culture. If only the church could see them as a great opportunity and an open door. Such is the need for an aggressive attitude. A pastor was walking down the Sunday school area of his church, the children's wing. And when he passed this class, he happened to see this little church. It's a, a church for offerings. But he thought he would pick it up and examine it. He picked it up, and about that time, a little boy said, Be careful, mister. You've got our church in your hands. Now, there's a great opportunity and an open door in the 21st century. Will the church sing again at midnight? Be careful, beloved. You've got our church in your hands. Be careful, beloved. You've got our church in your hands. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the church. We're thankful for the church that sings at midnight. And we pray, O oh God, that you would revive the church so the church may be your instrument in this society, in this world. Bless the church and make it a blessing, O oh God. Thank you for loving us all. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me tonight, and I pray that you were blessed and that you will share this program with others. Have a good evening. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air. So please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at halbradyministries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.